Reaver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com. This is Trisha Gustin with the Parker Avery Group. Today I am talking with Kathy Toll, Marty Anderson, and Deanna Emsley about what they saw and experienced over the last year focused on an organizational change management perspective. You may remember during our Reconstructing Retail webinar series in the spring of 2020, this team of change management experts conducted one of the most popular episodes titled Mobilizing and Sustaining a Resilient Organization. We wanted to touch on some of those key themes to explore how they may have evolved during the course of the year, as well as what capabilities organizations must develop to ensure they can continue to grow and whether whatever may come next. Hi, y'all. Glad you could find time in your busy client schedules to join me today. How are y'all doing? Great. great. On a Friday. Yeah, great. Yeah, happy Friday. Indeed. Let's just jump right in. So from an organizational change perspective, what's the biggest learning over the past year? For me, it's been communication, and I'll probably rephrase that and say effective communication has been really key. I've seen some great examples of where it's been done well and keeping um, organizational communities really tight-knit and in the loop and kind of going in the same direction and some where it was kind of I would say tossed over the fence a little loosely and, and people were unsure of, you know, the level of detail that they really needed to make sure they were being effective in their jobs and, and doing things. So I, I think that's what has resonated with me is I've seen some examples of companies that have done really good with communication during this time and a few that have really missed the mark a little bit and and caused some undue stress probably. Yeah, I would agree, Marty. I think one of my biggest takeaways from this past year is that we had this collision of our personal and professional lives. And how we handled that and how our supervisors and our peers handled that, whether or not we felt like it, there was a boundary between our work and our personal life. And now, you know, we were in each other's lifting rooms, bedrooms, kitchens. Um, you hear a baby cry, a dog bark. And I think for me, what, what has been the biggest learning is how some leaders really leaned in to the, like they had to recognize that their employees were human beings, first and foremost. And they really leaned into the difficulty and were very good about being transparent and to Marty's point, like ongoing communication, not like a one and done. Um, I also think a lot of leaders and companies were surprised by the disruption and stress that it caused in their employees. And it's it's been interesting this whole year. Last year, we talked about resilience and the need for adaptability. As I look back now, which is really interesting on this past year, most of my client work has been on helping people become more adaptable, building resilience, building that muscle 
because this is going to continue for some time period. Yeah, and I think what I would add to that is I think what's turned into a very public conversation, maybe for the first time in corporate America anyway, is the issue of trust and trustworthiness. And I think that's why this veil of secrecy that we all used to hide behind where, no, no, what I do at home is my business. That's not for you to know. I don't have to share that with you. You don't have to see what my home looks like. To Kathy's point, you were looking at our kitchens and our bedrooms and whatnot now. I think we've had to all confront how trustworthy we are and how trusting we are in a very different way in our professional lives than we ever did before. That's an excellent point. The other thing I, this past year, what was interesting is from our perspective as the Parker Avery team, we had much more interest and questions coming about organizational change management and more effective communication and how do I help my people through it. And it's not, the interesting thing is it's not stopping. Is, are we post-pandemic? As we sit right. here in August of you know 2021, I don't know. None of us know. And I think that lingering ambiguity is really weighing on people. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, you know, even in my client meetings in the last couple of weeks, they've had some rollbacks of mask mandates in some places, you know, just in the last week. And, you know, I had started traveling again. And at first it's like, if you're vaccinated, you're fine. And we're going to the building and literally, you know, last, I guess it was this week or last week, I'm sorry, halfway through, it was like, nope, now you have to wear the mask again, even in the building, regardless of vaccination status. And we're all trying to work and stay apart yet, you know, be effective and communicate through. And, and you could you could feel kind of that drain of oh is this not over we thought we were coming back into the office and they have set a date and it was august and now it's september and now this rollback and and you can see people kind of clench up a little bit and it's that uncertainty of are are we going backwards or are we going to go forwards are we stalling or are we going to keep moving and i think for the most part you know some companies are are committed to keeping moving and and that's great but i think there's even they're a little uncertain of well, what's going to happen. And so their mm-hmm. ability to communicate with certainty, I should say, of yes, no, we're definitely going this direction. This is definitely the date and this is how that's going to feel has kind of waned in the past just recent weeks, really, because of that global uncertainty of, of how assured are we that this is going to continue to improve and things are going to go back to a new normal, especially while I think, and you may have just touched on it, that there's still determining what the new normal is and they're still modulating and how they're coming back is not necessarily this position they were sitting in when they left they are going to be working differently and many companies have already acknowledged that that they are going to take a new permanent fresh approach to maybe how their organization is either structured or interacting and but again there's this little cloud of uncertainty that is just hanging and keeping that stress level a little higher than maybe it needs to be yeah I mean, I'm sure we've all read about hybrid workplaces, and now I'm reading a lot about agile workplaces, where the desire to have sort of a, a, a pick and choose, I'd like to be in the office, I'd like to be at home and have that flexibility, was loud and clear, really, really vocalized, I think, by, by the employees of corporate America. I think a lot of it has to do with company culture and how we've got to adapt to the environment yet that culture needs to, I don't know necessarily strength, you know, change, 
but it's it's a testament to how strong it was prior to all this you know what hitting the fan and can you tell me about like some examples not necessarily mentioning company names but of how that that theme of culture and strength of culture has really helped companies get through all this junk Sure, I can tackle that. I've been working with a client over the last several months who I think if you asked them what their culture was pre-pandemic, they would have described it as highly collaborative, very, very strong communication, very good at transparency, very good at putting their, not just their customers, but their employee and their talent pool first in any strategic decision that they made. And what the pandemic has exposed to them is that actually some of that got in the way during the pandemic. And an example was they've been very good at communicating in real time over Slack, over whatever instant messaging platform of choice. And when they were constrained by a more classic business day, we're all in the office at this hour, you should all expect not to be in the office at that other hour, that worked with those guardrails up. But when those guardrails were removed, the drain on people and the expectation they felt to be constantly available to that pinging almost 24 hours a day now because of all the time zones they operate in, it, it became a cultural backlash for them. Something that had been a strength previously became a significant weakness and a significant area of anxiety as they entered into the pandemic. And to their credit, they've taken some time to say, well, hold on, what needs to be true to honor the strengths of those behaviors pre-pandemic without it creating some new risks for our talent and our productivity in this environment? And, and you know, to the point we made a moment ago, I don't think anyone's comfortable saying post-pandemic. We don't know where that pin is in this race, but certainly in this now new environment, their prior behaviors don't work, even though those were cultural strengths that they were very proud of. It's been interesting to see them acknowledge that and try to figure out a new way. And then, honestly, they haven't figured out the right balance, but at least they're talking about the conflict and being honest with each other about the anxiety it has created. I think that's such a great point. And I had, I was at a client site this week and one of the managers mentioned that one of the difficult things, and it was a frustration for her as a man, that availability that you were just talking about where, you know, they they had they were really excited about how well they worked together in this remote and hybrid situation where you know they're not in the office as often or at all in some cases, and and they've had pretty good results and they've learned how to do it. But then it was uh, the example was I found out people take these random breaks during the middle of the day when they're at home to either go walk the dog or or they go run an errand or you know they're in their car. Whereas to your point, when there was a very specific guardrail of you're in the office between this hour and this hour and you're always available, um, because of that extended availability, they've also had the opportunity to be more flexible in their life as well. And they think there's downtime and so they might choose to flex and go walk the dog or choose to flex and go um, run an errand because they know they might be working a little bit later or just being available a little bit later. However, because of that I guess, inconsistent communication and maybe that openness between each other, between manager and employee or, or just in group and uh, within the group, it was unexpected, I think, when that availability waned and when it was really solid. Like, when are the real hours I have availability and know I can reach out and get responses from everyone versus they may or may not be just sitting there at their desk and available. And I think that's still getting figured out to your point. Yeah, it, it just it, it isn't perfect yet. Like people are yeah. still wondering 
where are those guardrails and how to communicate effectively around the, the true expectations. And it starts with opening a conversation about what are our shared expectations of exactly. these new working relationships. And yeah. it has to be a bi-directional conversation and agreement. And sure. in, you know, in, in multiple teams that I work with, the management team, again, to their credit, has recognized, well, I don't even know what my expectations are anymore. I'm not, I, I do get frustrated when people aren't at my beck and call, but I haven't made it clear they need to be right now. And so whose fault is that? What do I do about that conflict? Who owns that frustration? It's not, not just them, and it's certainly not just me. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think the biggest piece around this is, and there's been all sorts of research done, we are all working more. We are working longer hours. We are working more. We are, yes, we're more productive, but because it's just been of late that kind of some of these guardrails have been put in place. For instance, um, one of the clients I work with in their signature line now, they have, please understand my work hours might not be your work hours to help people, you know, not. That's a lovely way of handling it. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Not expect an immediate response. But it's also difficult because it's a two-way street, to Deanna's point, is I'm accountable. So I get pinged at 8 o'clock at night. I don't have to respond. It's some of the, the boundaries of simply saying, hey, so-and-so, after 8 p.m., I'm offline. So just know that I'll respond to you in the morning. Or even setting up, I know I've seen um, another client has set up Slack messages to say, after 6 p.m., I will respond like tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Yeah, it, I mean, it all starts with the simple question, what needs to be true for both of our needs to be met? What needs to be true? And you know, from a management perspective, that may sound like, well, I want it to feel a lot more like it did when I owned you from eight to five. And, and from an employee perspective, it may sound more like, yeah, I'm not willing to ever sign up for that again. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. I have flexibility that I don't want to release. And so what needs to be true for both of our needs to be met is a really mature conversation, but it comes back to that, that foundation of trust and trustworthiness that may not be present. So you have to start with acknowledging, well, how strong is our culture, our foundation of this relationship, and how do we build to a place where we can talk about what needs to be true for both of our needs to be met? Yeah, the point about trustworthiness, even within Parker Avery, all of us work too much. If I'm out of pocket, even if I'm really careful to say I have a doctor's appointment or so-and-so, is I never question my, like, I never think of questioning my colleagues, like, well, what are you doing? You at Starbucks? Are you, you know, having a mani-pedi? It just doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> occur to me. And with the employee-employer relationship, I think particularly in the office, um, that was hard. People are taking conference calls where they're picking their kids up at school. Right? And you're like, sorry, it's just the way things roll now. But it does go back to the trustworthiness and building up that if you tell me to have something done by 8 o'clock Friday morning, it's going to be done by 8 o'clock Friday morning. How and when I choose to get it done doesn't really matter <laughs> as long as we're getting our yeah. And building the resilience, again, on either side of this relationship as an employer or an employee to end up in that level of flexibility also has to start with both sides setting some boundaries. And, you know, you mentioned at 8 o'clock at night, you don't feel compelled to respond immediately. You've made a choice that for you, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't, you don't go to bed guilty if you don't respond. You feel fine that that's okay to tackle tomorrow. But not everyone is mature enough to make that kind of a choice for themselves. 
And that's part of the coaching I think we're providing across the board in terms of resiliency. Resiliency has to start with some personal accountability and setting some personal boundaries so that you don't go to bed every night going, oh my gosh, again today I gave it my all and I still feel behind and I feel guilty and I'm not sure I'm keeping up with everyone and I don't like how that feels. Okay, well, I come back to my oversimplified question, what would need to be true tomorrow for not to feel that way when you go to bed tomorrow night? What would need to be different? And establishing those guardrails, and I think I love the way you stated it, Deanna, about what things need to be true for both of us to be effective. I think that's really effective. Um, but you made a couple of examples, Kathy, where my ears peaked up like, oh, I took a, a, a conference call, you know, or a, a big meeting while I was in the carpool lane, you know, and I've, I've experienced a scenario like that where it was just not effective. And it's, you know, that's one of the conversations to say there are certain things you can take in the car and yes. maybe your focus is appropriate, um, but it's like you should probably be focused on driving your kids and being safe and maybe not, you know, having a split focus. Or if you're focused on that, you may not be listening or making the right decisions, and then it requires a lot of follow-up afterwards, which is a very different conversation than I have an assignment that to do on this date by this time, and I can flex, and I can go get my kids, and I can then work later tonight because it's independent, or, you know, I can schedule other times. And I think that's a great example of one of those two things is not equivalent. Like, I don't, I don't yes. necessarily want your yep. focus split for me when I'm trying to deliver information or get consensus or we need to make a decision. Um, get your kids home safely, and I certainly respect that. Let's pick a time where we can meet and both be focused. Um, but then on the assignment, absolutely, once we all know our marching directions, here's the freedom that you have to turn those things in. But I think for me, if I were the manager, I, I wouldn't have, that wouldn't be a true statement for me, like Deanna said, you being in the car while I'm trying to get a decision point or trying to, you know, get a consensus or whatever, it probably isn't going to work for me as well because I'm going to feel unsure about your level of focus or you didn't hear something and then you come back and something isn't and we have to resurface it again and I get agitated. You know, those are great conversations just to have openly and say, here are the things that are okay. Here are the things that really yeah. they're not and we just need to find a way around that. Like rules of the road. Yeah, exactly. Do's and Quite don'ts. literally I, in that state. I'm curious, Marty, because I have not had to start traveling again and be in an office environment. So going back on client site, how did that feel? Like what, what was the vibe or the mood of how did you feel? How did you sense others were feeling? It was actually a little nerve wracking the first week um, going in because, you know, everyone has different comfort levels, quite frankly. Nobody's really sure, like, are we, like you said, are we really post-pandemic? Is anyone ready to say that yet? And then things that happened with some of the mandates getting rolled back, and it just happened to be in, in Texas, where it's one of the um, heavier areas that are being hit by some of the variants. And so, you know, people are unsure. And so if you're fully vaccinated, some people were comfortable without masks, other people were fully in masks the whole time. And then of course they changed the rule when the mandate came back and then everyone was required to be in masks at all times. And then it's, and it, and, but then, you know, we were doing some coaching and it's like, well, how do we work together, be in masks six feet apart, but yet I'm, I'm coaching them and having to train them one-on-one -on, -one on maybe some system implementation and actually do some training. And it was pretty difficult. Um, and so we just had to work out with one another, like, what are you comfortable with? Here's, here are my boundaries, where are yours? And you know, some people are like, I'm, I'm very comfortable with you approaching me. We both have masks on, I'm okay with that. And other people are, well, can we just project you know, on the wall or something and then work that way? And literally having those indi individual, very individual conversations 
um, are you are you comfortable with me approaching you or do you want to project and we'll do it this way? And then they would answer. But you had to go through that every time and kind of make that agreement first of how do you feel comfortable working together? And then some people, you know, there were some days they were in the office and others they were out. If they had, like you were mentioning, I just have some to-dos today that I, and I've got to work through those. It was like an every other day thing. They weren't required to be in every single day, but, you know, for, for certain activities they were. And so it was a mixed bag, but, but we worked through it and it, and it was getting easier and it's, it's, it's becoming a little more understandable once you get a sense of everyone's comfort levels and what is in and what is out of bounds, like you said. But I would say it, it was very unsure the first few days in particular of what's okay and what's not. And we, and we kind of had to have those just very open conversations right up front. You just can't avoid them because you see people backing away or they're looking weird and they don't know what, what to do. And I was one of them at first. I was like, okay, I'm walking in the building. I take my temperature at the door and it tells me I'm okay to go in because they had this automatic temperature taker, you know, and then it's like, now am I required to wear the mask here or not? And, you know, so that again is communication. Do I wear my vaccine card like a name badge now? What are the rules here? Right. Yeah. And sometimes that doesn't even matter. It just depends. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, that's a new muscle that will come out of this that we will have all built as citizens of this journey we've been on is that we'll get better and more habitual about checking in with each other. Hey, is now a good time to have this conversation and to make this decision? Is is you working on this assignment this week even really something you can handle? Not just from a bandwidth perspective, but just mentally. Are you in a place where that kind of assignment is something you can actually do well right now? Um, and I don't think we talked like that previously. Mm -hmm. Maybe we've learned something new and a different way of being open with each other about what we can and cannot tolerate and handle right now. Agreed. And I, what's interesting is last last year, about this time, we spoke about the cognitive weight of yeah. like having that type of stress is even your best performers are going to be a little slower off the mark or going to be like, might be a little discombobulated. And I actually, I have observed as we've, we've progressed through this year, I think going back into the office, quote unquote, whatever that looks like, will be as stress inducing, if not more, than when we started this whole thing, you know, in, in March of 2020. Um, it, it's just been a daunting weight on all of us. And I do think, Deanna, to your point, there are conversations going on now that I seem to said that two years ago to my boss ever, but it's just, it, it is what it is right now, just based on all of the external stimuli that's coming at us. Yeah. And, and maybe the, the natural uh, tendency to be the, the fear of missing out, right? That, that pattern of FOMO, maybe, maybe that's a little less acute because we've all learned that I don't have visibility to what everyone's working on at all times anymore. And so if I had this FOMO pattern before, well, you couldn't have made it through this last 18 months then, because there's lots of things you're missing out on by, simply by the nature of our distance from each other. And maybe that pressure will be lessened as well. I do think as people return to offices, though, that's going to be one of the first tidal waves of anxiety is, oh my gosh, well, they went back and I'm not comfortable. What does that say about me? I don't want to be judged differently because one of my peers or somebody in my, my stakeholder group, if nothing else, they're okay showing up every day and I'm not, and I may never be. What happens then? Well, that's interesting. You know, we're, we're talking, this is very focused on people going into an office 
versus, you know, staying at home and doing their computer work and that type of thing. And we've all become accustomed to that. And, and now that's the kind of the next step is, is there an office to go to? Or are we going to, what's that going to look like? And that's going to be different for every different company. But, you know, we're focused on retailers and mm-hmm. retail stores are open and they've been in many cases open for a long time. So I'm wondering if there's, our, there's learnings from the retail employees, you know, on the front lines, they've been, you know, to get paid, they have to go in and work. They don't have a choice to get paid by the company. So what, are there any learnings that come to mind that maybe could translate into the corporate world? I, I'll build on what we've been talking about is of anybody, the front line have, have had, have seen the best and the worst of humanity Ever. I mean, we've all seen some behaviors that you're like, whoa, like to the, the point that they're on social media. And I think they, they have had, they were faced with situations that they've never had to face before. And they're in the middle of a store with other shoppers and things looking at them on how they're going to handle them. And I, I think it's that particular pause, take in the situation, understand where the other person is coming from. What works for them is they they literally had no choice but to build that muscle. And I think building on, on what we've been talking about is if that's what you're comfortable with, that's okay, but you have to have the conversation there. I cannot, um, I cannot imagine. I actually have a good friend whose sister um, works for Target. And she's been in, in those, been in her store like every day since this has gone on. And some of the stories that I've heard growing up in retail in stores are just stunning. They really, they take your breath away. And I'm like, I dare a senior executive to do that same thing, to be able to manage through a customer that is just going sideways on them when it's not really a rational reason why. Even properly placed anger and frustration, right? That poor Target associate, they're not the ones behind the mask mandate or whatever. Someone's right. going sideways about. That's right. And they have yeah, to handle so maybe, that. maybe empathy is the other muscle that hopefully is being built across the spectrum of our, our, our clients and their employee base. Hopefully empathy and, and certainly those frontline workers have learned empathy for each other, for their customers. They've learned how to handle really tricky scenarios that I would say probably like police officers had to handle that day in and day out. And the, yeah. the management of the public under constraints you have no control over. I don't know any other career other than policing mm-hmm. that has asked that of people until now. <laughs> now all of a sudden restaurants and stores and, and certainly all the healthcare environment all are trying to have an employee base that can handle it in that same de-escalating manner. So I would hope that people back in the office certainly respect and see that and empathize in a new way with it's not just that you gave them too many price changes to handle today think about what they're faced with day in and day out that didn't come from corporate coming from every other direction and god bless them for showing up well and they're handling situations with complete strangers in many cases too so it's one thing you know i go into an office and i've seen you know deanna marty kathy and I know you guys and, you know, we're like, oh, you good with a mask? I'm, you know, whatever. That conversation is, is much more easy versus having it with a complete stranger. You don't, you have no idea. Like, I yeah. know how you guys are going to react generally yeah. to and stuff. And on the quicksand of changing rules, right? So even if you <laughs> want the confrontation <laughs> right. and you're comfortable with the confrontation, 
you probably don't feel pretty secure on any given day about what the right side of that confrontation is from a rules perspective because the rules are constantly changing. So I sincerely hope that the lesson learned there is empathy. And I think, you know, you asked, like, what could we learn from them, Trisha? And I, you know, going back to originally, and I said I've been feeling a lot of the pressure around communication. And I think one thing that stores, and when you're in that local level, that they're really good at doing because they've had to, and, and even before the pandemic, but I'm certain, you know, even more so during because of all the changing requirements from day to day, week to week, or like the short stand up meetings where, you know, at the beginning of the day, they have to have a meeting, say, here's the game plan for the day. Here's, here's what's in, here's what's out. Here's what we're going to do and accomplish. You know, they're quick and directive. I think companies and offices and stuff have not always been very good at those. They're either too long, too short. They're either too much information or not enough information. You know, I have an example. One of my colleagues um, for a, a large retailer had this example where they started out during the pandemic. They have this meeting every morning at 8 a.m., but it's like an hour long. And it started out productive and informative, and now it's just this extra hour of drain time every morning that isn't really providing anything versus a stand-up is literally that, and, and that's where it came from, is like these store locations and things where people come together. They should never be more than 15 minutes long. They should be very pointed and instructive, and that's why they're stand-up, because you don't stand up for long periods of time that way. And, you know, organizations aren't good, and so they're having these big long hours that are just not productive, but they feel like in the vein of communication that they can check that box and say, oh, no, I meet with everyone every day, but they're not coming with an agenda, and they end up actually reducing productivity in those situations, and they're not truly communicating as they think they are, other than draining, you know, time and energy from people. And, and that's another learning that I see is done really well in those on-site locations of stores and employees and retail environments that is not done and executed as well in corporate environments. Yeah, I think one of the, as you're talking about this, Marty, this past year, we had a client in 2021, it was almost unthinkable, we had to go back to some basic disciplines of helping them run an effective meeting. And what became apparent is the decision-making processes or lack of is now we have to have another meeting because we didn't stick to the agenda and we, um, or we didn't have an agenda going into it. So we've worked a lot with, um, I know with our clients on, um, structured decision-making processes, running more effective meetings. Um, and can you, have a, can you have an effective meeting in 25 minutes? You bet if, there's, if you're walking into it knowing that we've got a specific piece of, or an activity that we need to continue working on. I, but I think we've learned really the lesson too hard that we have meetings in corporate America to have meetings because that's what we do, we go to meetings. Yeah, I um, remember early, early on in my consulting career, I, I, we were doing some implementation and I was, I was gonna lead a meeting and my, my then project manager, he's like, well, where's your agenda? And I was kind of didn't have one, like I, we, this is what we're gonna talk about, like high level, but specifically the specific points in the meeting, he was like, okay, you're just so, you'll just wing it. If it's just this high level and you don't have, here's the things we have to talk about and decide why have the meeting. All right, we're almost at the end of our time, but I want to always ask this last question. Going forward, what advice would you have for retailers and consumer brands from an organizational perspective? What, what would they need to do to 
best be prepared for another disruption. And keeping with, you know, we talked about this the last time we did this session, it's really about hindsighting and understanding what worked, what didn't, and have that recovery plan. I think people will be naturally more prepared because this has really lasted a lot longer than, you know, a smaller disaster that may have come in thinking about disaster recovery and including this in that program, much like you would a technology um, disaster recovery program to say, okay, now we know here, here's where home base is, here are the new rules. We feel confident that we can work remote, but what are those guardrails that we thought did work, what didn't work? And I think it's gonna be a little different for every company. I think one of the things I was surprised mm -hmm. at that have already been made public, there are some companies who have walked away from in-person um, in offices. Um, there are some companies who've said, we're never going back into the office. We're just going to maintain this and perfect this way of working. There are some companies who've gone a hybrid where some people come in and certain types of roles are going to stay out. And then another hybrid, you know, a client I was with uh, this week too, they're going to come in, but it's only on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, maybe Mondays and Fridays they're out. And so they've got all these different ways that they're going to work. They will think it will be easier um, in the future if something like this happens again because those muscles will already kind of be in place. But I still think there are some learnings and in, in that hindsighting is going to be really important, maybe even on an annual basis or even every six months because it's changing still. It hasn't fully settled and it is still changing. And even those that have think they've made that decision, they may still learn and make different decisions six months, a year from mm -hmm. now as things continue to settle, I think. Yeah, I think one of the biggest, Deanna, I think it was your portion last year when we talked about this on looking back at in, the, in necessities of mother wall invention. That was the, we did, we learned how to do some things really fast because we didn't have a choice. And there were a lot, not a lot, there were some really good learnings out of that that I think now six months later, if you paused and reflected on, okay, what what are we doing that's working? What do we need to take a look at and get rid of, stop? And where can, can we really expand? But that hindsighting, particularly in the environment that we're in that's so volatile, I think annually now just to me sounds like, wow, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. It yeah. almost it has to be like every six months. Let's pause as a team, take a look around, see what's working and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I would add to what you both said, I completely agree, is I, I think as pedantic as it might sound, I think the organizations, whether that's leadership or middle tier or whatever, has to be really precise and intentional now about these are the objectives we still have as an organization. So an example to Marty's comments might be, our objective is to get back into that office. And the assumptions we're making as an organization are that these things are true and these things are false, but we're, we're using those assumptions to get to that objective. And if you're not intentional and specific about that kind of communication, everyone sitting at home is making their own decisions. Oh, I don't think we're going back. We're not going to be one of those companies. I can sell my house and move to another state. It's okay. Well, let's make sure we're all talking about the things that we are all pointed towards and the assumptions we share to get there. Agreed. That's awesome. All right, guys, I've enjoyed our conversation today and everybody have a good weekend and we'll talk to you, you again too. soon. Thank you. Thank you. So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out, please feel free to visit our website, parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. 
Just search for the Parker Avery Group.